And our reading this morning is coming from the book of Luke, chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. This is God's word for us today. Thanks, Kim. Well, something about that song, man. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. That's just, that is... That's Advent. It gives me the Advent feels, if that's a thing. I don't know. I'm making that up. Uh, well, hey, uh, it is good to be gathered here this morning. It is good to open up God's Word. It is good to uh, discover uh, what Jesus is up to. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I want to remind you of this if you were with us or if you weren't with us, just to tell you something about us. Uh, and that is this, that the whole Bible is about Jesus. A couple weeks ago, we saw Jesus along the road with a couple of his disciples, and they were confused. They're like, I don't know how to make sense of what's going on. And so Jesus says, hey, look, let me show you how all of this is about him. All this is about Jesus. Uh, So everything that we do as a church is about Jesus. Uh, The hope that we talk about is in Jesus. It's not just kind of a nice, feel-good Christmas kind of hope, uh, but it is a, a gritty kind of hope. Uh, that is found in Jesus, who meets us right where we are. And so wherever you are this morning, Jesus wants to meet you right there. He wants to meet you and invite you to know him, to follow him, and to find your hope in him. Uh, And the reason why we know that is because of this book, the Bible, that Kim just read from. Uh, This book is all about him. And so that's why we take time in our service to to open it up, to listen to it, uh, to study it, to talk about it, so that we can know for certain that this is our hope. Uh, so wherever you are in your understanding of Jesus, wherever you are in your understanding of the Bible, uh, we want to invite you along on this journey with us. Uh, we have, over the past 10 weeks, been exploring the Gospel of Luke. Uh, and it's been a series that we call Dinner with Jesus, looking at the dinners that Jesus uh, spent with people and what it communicated about his values, about who he cares about. Just this past week, you probably were around a dinner, right, around a table, and the people who were there had some significance to you, right? They were maybe family or friends or significant others. You gathered around a table, and that's saying, these are my people. Jesus did that all the time. Uh, and so we discovered through that series who Jesus cares about, who he spends time with. Uh, But as we are going to enter into this Advent season, we're going to be going back to the beginning of Luke's gospel in the first couple of chapters uh, to explore really what was the beginning of this movement of Jesus? What was he all about? Where did it all start? Now, whether or not you are very familiar with the Bible, you are familiar with what Luke says in this story. In fact, most of the details that we think of when you think of Christmas, right? You think of that nativity scene. Maybe your grandma has a nativity scene on the mantle, or you drive by someone's house and they've got a nativity scene out front, right? Most of the details of that story, of that picture, come from Luke's gospel. He records more than any other person who wrote about Jesus. He records a lot of details leading up to the birth of Jesus. And he records eyewitness accounts of people who saw and experienced something with the birth of Jesus. But every single person that he interviewed, every single person he includes in this story, as they were eyewitnesses of these events, the trajectory of their lives changed. 
Before they encountered Christmas, before they encountered the birth of Jesus, they were going along their way. They were doing something. But the moment that the announcement comes that Jesus is born, the trajectory of their lives changes forever. And the same thing can be true for you. Right? That as we explore these stories of, of eyewitnesses to the birth of Jesus, as the trajectory of their lives changes, they understood what they were seeing, as we understand what they saw, the direction of your life could change as well. Because that's what Jesus wants to do. And that's why he shows up in our world and in our lives. And so we're going to be working through this series called We Are All Witnesses, looking at the, the eyewitness accounts that Luke records in his gospel. So wherever you are in your journey with Jesus, we want to invite you to explore these eyewitness accounts with us. The first person that we're going to look at in this story is actually Luke himself, the guy who wrote this story. He tells us in the first four verses uh, what it is that he's all about, what it is that he's thinking about, and even why he set out to write this story. If you remember high school English class, right? I know for some of you that's maybe stretching it a little bit, or maybe you just blocked it out, like you don't want to think about it, but high school English class, uh, what did your teacher tell you? Uh, maybe you don't remember, that's fine. Here's a, here's a refresher, right? When you write a paper, write your thesis statement. Now, what's your thesis statement? It's saying, hey, here's the argument that I'm going to make. Here's, here's the points that I'm going to lay out. Here's what I'm going to prove to you over the course of this paper. That's what Luke does in verses 1 through 4. And if you look, verses 1 through 4 are all one sentence, right? So his English teacher probably has some things to say about run-on sentences. But he tells us what he's going to say. So, so if you have a Bible, I want you to keep it open because we're going to look at this as we explore just these four verses together. Uh, what is Luke about to say? What is it that he wants you to see in everything else that's going to come in the story to follow? What is it that he wants you to see? Right, so in verse 1, he, he sets out. He says, here's what's going on. He says, inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us. And so right off the bat, he says, hey, look, this is not an original story. I, I am not the first person to tell you this story. Uh, so what he's saying is, is you've heard bits and pieces of this story already. Probably by the time Luke writes this, the Gospel of Mark had already been written. It was already being distributed. Probably uh, the Gospel of Matthew was finished and starting to make its rounds. And so Luke is saying, look, you've heard this story before. So why is he bothering to tell the story? Why is he bothering then to, to write another version of the story? It's kind of like, have you ever realized, like, we tend to only tell three stories around Christmas? Right? We, we tell the, the Christmas carol, right, with Scrooge and the, the ghosts, right? We tell the How the Grinch Stole Christmas story. And then we tell some version of, like, boy meets girl in the city or the country, and they fall in love and kiss as it snows. Right? We only tell those three stories. And what happens is, as you've seen that story over and over again, uh, it kind of becomes routine, right? Like, like so you, you turn on Netflix, and there's another, like, it's a Christmas inheritance or a Christmas prince or a country Christmas. Or you turn it on in the background as you're decorating your tree or whatever. Why? Because, because well, I know this story. And, and, yeah, maybe Jim Carrey's in it. Maybe Kermit the Frog makes an appearance. But, like, it's the same story. Why is Luke bothering to tell the story? And I think the danger is that, that every year we come around Christmas, and maybe it's, like, you decide, hey, I need to go back to church around Christmas, and to hear the same familiar story. And, and the danger can become that you sort of, uh, your brain and your heart sort of kick into this like neutral gear, right? Where you're like, okay, here's sing the song, go to, go to church, decorate the tree, Christmas is over, go back to your life. So what is Luke saying? He's saying, we need to hear this story differently. We need to hear this story in a new kind of way. And he's going to explain why he's telling the story, why he bothers to write the story down in verse 3. If you look at verse 3, uh, he says this, It seemed good to me also, 
having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Right, so, so when he says orderly account, really what he's saying is, is I want to write this story in such a way that it persuades you to believe it. That, that I want you to, to actually understand the argument of what happened when Jesus was born so that you can see and you can know and you can have confidence that this is not just a Netflix Christmas story, that this is a story that's worth hinging your life on. But the reason why he writes it is for his friend Theophilus. Now, he has a very specific person in mind, and, and he doesn't tell us a lot about Theophilus, but he does tell us, tell us three things about him. The first thing that we know is he calls him most excellent Theophilus. Uh, now, that probably is like a title of authority, right? He probably had some pull or some prestige or some power. He was, he was a significant figure, right? And he and Luke have some kind of relationship, right? The second thing that we know about Theophilus is that he has some familiarity with the story of Jesus. He, he says, uh, you have been taught some things, right? You have some, some awareness of these things. Even his name means lover of God, right? So he has some, like, openness to God, some, some awareness that maybe spiritual things are a real thing, but, but he's having trouble committing. He's having trouble really kind of planting his feet somewhere, which I think describes a lot of people. Maybe it describes you, right? You have this idea, like, I like the idea of God, but I'm not sure if it's this God or if God's like this or that. And, and so we kind of just like, we kind of move through life having this vague general idea that God is out there, but we're afraid to commit ourselves somewhere. We're afraid to plant our feet and say, this is what I think God is like. And Luke is writing this story for someone like you, if that's who you are. But the third thing that we know about Theophilus is that he's Greek. His name is a Greek name. Now, why would that matter? Here's here's the thing to consider. So if his name is Greek, it means he's he's from a Greek culture. Uh, He he probably uh, speaks Greek. And, And the story and the events of the life of Jesus they didn't happen in a Greek culture. They happened in a Jewish culture. They happened in first century Palestine, among Jewish people. And so, so what Luke is recognizing is one of the challenges that Theophilus is having to understanding Jesus is really this challenge of translation. That, that Theophilus has a different culture and different language. He doesn't understand all the references of the Bible that like Matthew includes. And so what Luke is doing is he saying, hey, guys like Theophilus, people like, like you and me who don't belong to that culture, right, they need to understand Jesus too. They need to hear Jesus in their own language. And so Luke is translating the story of Jesus for Theophilus. He's recognizing that, hey, there's a gap between Theophilus and the story of Jesus and the culture of Jesus and where these things happened. And so he's saying, I'm going to bridge the gap. I'm going to make sure that Theophilus can understand this story so that he can commit to this story. He can plant his feet in the story of Jesus. I see, any time that you're talking with someone who's different than you, right, there are gaps between you and them. Right? Whether that difference is language or culture or ethnicity or economics, right? anytime you're interacting with someone who's different than you, there's, there's some gaps that you have to overcome. And when you're not aware of the gaps, that's when miscommunication can happen. That's when things can get awkward. That's when misunderstandings can happen. Let me give you an example. This a couple of years ago, my wife and I, uh, we lived in North Hill. Uh, and North Hill is the most diverse neighborhood in the city of Akron. Uh, and we developed sort of this relationship with one of our neighbors uh, kind of across the street. Uh, their kids always kind of came into our front yard because we had a puppy. And they loved our puppy. Now, they were of Nepali descent. 
uh, Nepali immigrants. And so uh, we kind of developed this relationship. And, and then one of the kids said, hey, you should come over for my birthday party, uh, which is really cute. Right? But they said, make sure you bring your dog. And now I'm like, oh, I don't know what to do because I, I like that could be really cool, get to know them, come to his birthday party. But like, our dog was like eight weeks old at the time. It wasn't even potty trained, right? And so, so I'm not sure that I want to bring this dog over to my neighbor's house because I don't know what dogs mean in their culture. And I don't know, I know how dogs mean in like the culture that I grew up in. And, and so anyways, all this led to like us taking our little puppy to their house. Uh, and it was good, like, but there was like lots of like, we have to communicate, we have to understand, because there was this gap between us and them. Right? But, but if I was not aware of the gap, I would have just walked in there with my puppy and I might have like, just like created all kinds of offense and, and hurt a relationship with them. See, Luke is saying that, that I need to be mindful of the gaps that exist between me and the people that I'm around so that I can communicate in an effective way who Jesus is. And so he's doing that for Theophilus and he's saying, if you're a follower of Jesus, like be mindful of the gaps that are between you and someone else. And maybe you're considering Christianity or maybe you've kind of reconsidered Christianity after a little while. Uh, how much, just consider this question, how much of your struggle with Christianity is maybe less about the theology of Christianity and more about the translation of Christianity? And like, like what I mean by that is like, like, are you wrestling with like the actual, like here's what Christians claim, here's what, what Jesus claimed, or, or is it more like the cultural expression of Christianity that you've seen? You see, I think one of the things that's happening is, is for a while there was like majority culture and Christian culture, and they kind of like could coexist in kind of a weird way, but that's starting to change. Right? So the, the world around us is going one direction, and, and there are some Christians that say, hey, we need to take that culture back, but, but some of that culture wasn't even Christian to begin with. And so like there's a lot of anger and a lot of misunderstanding, a lot of misconfusion. And so what Luke is showing us is the way forward. And we have to be aware of the gaps that are existing between us and other people. Because when you're not, there's all kinds of misunderstanding. There's all kinds of confusion. And so I want to encourage you, if you're, if you're considering Jesus, maybe you're not yet all in on Jesus, right, to, to actually look at the claims of Jesus, right, to, to consider what it means to follow him. That's what Luke is inviting Theophilus to do. But how do you actually go about that? I mean, how do you actually go about translating the story and the message of Jesus. The good thing is Luke shows us how he does it. But look in verse 2. Notice what Luke says. He says, I'm trying to write this story. And he says, there's two sources that he goes to. He says, those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. And so, so here's where he goes. When he, when he wants to explain Christianity to Theophilus, this guy who's on the fence about it, uh, he goes to two sources of authority. The first he, he mentions there is eyewitnesses, right? which means that Luke actually went to the neighborhoods where this stuff happened. He actually talked to people who lived there, who, who encountered Jesus, who, who saw the birth and who saw the miracles of Jesus, and, and he talks to them. And he understands in their own language what they saw and what they heard and, and how it made sense to them. And, and he researches that to understand what, how did people talk about this? And how did people make sense of what was happening in the moment? But the second thing that he says, though, is ministers of the word. And what are ministers of the word? This would be those who, who sat under the teachings of Jesus, who were there at the beginning and who wrote it down. They, they said, here's the core of who Jesus is. Here's who he is and what he did. And they're they are doing their best to make sure that people understand that this is the heart of the message of Jesus. 
Right. Okay, so eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. What, what does that mean? What does that look like? Eyewitnesses, right? We need people who are in the neighborhood speaking the language of the neighborhood. Right? We need people who are, who are listening to the questions and the concerns of people that they're asking in their everyday life. Right? Eyewitnesses are you and me as we live our lives around other people. Right? Like, just consider this. Like, any difference between you and me, like, let's say you work third shift, I'm not a third shift person, but maybe you're a third shift person. Like you work that like midnight to 8 a.m. shift. Right? You, have a more, you have more ability to communicate to third shift people who Jesus is than I do. Partially because if I tried to communicate to them, I'd fall asleep. But, but you know what it's like to work third shift. You know the, the, the culture that exists in like a third shift working kind of space. Right? So, so if you're in that culture and in that space, you're going to be the most effective eyewitness to who Jesus is to third shift kind of people. Right, same thing if you and me come from different like economic spaces. Right? I, I can communicate to people uh, in my economic space as, as someone who is kind of from a same space about who Jesus is and what it means to me and, and how I can communicate to, that, to them. But if you're from a different bracket, you're going to be an effective witness in that space. You see, this is what Luke is saying, is we need eyewitnesses who know the questions that people are asking who know the concerns, and in the language that they're using to communicate who Jesus is, right? And this is why it's so important that we celebrate the differences that exist in our community, right? Because monocultural churches, right, that are just all one age group or all just one culture or all just one ethnicity, right, are going to be blind and ineffective at reaching certain kinds of people. And this is why the church in the Acts is so diverse and celebrates that diversity because each different space that we're able to be eyewitnesses in is a space where we can communicate who Jesus is. Right? So think about what, what unique opportunities you have in the space that, that you live and work and play in and, and how can you be an eyewitness in that space? How can you communicate the message of Jesus in that space to the unique questions and concerns of those kinds of people? But the danger is that we do only eyewitness kinds of stuff, right? That, that, that we become so like we're translating and translating and translating the message of Jesus, it becomes disconnected to the core of who Jesus is. That's why Luke says you also have to have ministers of the word. And ministers of the word, it's, it's coming back to this book. This is why we read this book and study this book and, and make sense of this book, because this tells us who Jesus is. And if you're just translating and always trying to be relevant and always trying to connect with people, but you can become disconnected from the story, and pretty soon what you're offering to people isn't the Jesus of the Bible. And so that's why we also hold on to the Word. We also hold on to this book and study it and make sense of it. But the danger is, if that's all we do, is just hold up this book for people, but we're not on the street, we can become either stale repetition or cultural religion. And stale repetition is saying, well, this is, you just have to get with it. You just have to repeat it. We're going to do everything that we do over and over and over again until, until you make sense of it. We're never willing to, to innovate or translate or change. It becomes stale repetition. Maybe that's how you feel every time you come to church around Christmas. It's like, oh, we did this last year. Right? Stale repetition or cultural religion, where, where the, the message that we're offering people, because it's so disconnected from people in the neighborhood, it's so disconnected from, from the everyday questions of people that we lose sight of how the message of Jesus is going to connect with them. And, and we end up offering more of our culture than we do of Christianity. Right? Where we say to follow Jesus, you also have to look like us or act like us or talk like us or spend your money like us. That, that we end up offering a cultural religion rather than the Jesus of the Bible. 
And what you find of the message of Jesus is that the message of Jesus celebrates and affirms some things in every culture, but it also challenges and critiques some things in every culture. And so we need to listen to Jesus in his word and what it is that he's saying. See, this is what Luke is doing. He's saying, I've listened to the eyewitness. I can explain to you, Theophilus, in words that make sense to you who Jesus is. And his goal is that he might see Jesus as revealed in his word. Let me give you a picture to kind of illustrate this. Uh, so there's been a global phenomenon on Netflix called Squid Game. Now, I have not watched it, so don't send me emails. Uh, but I want you to just consider this, right? So Squid Game is this uh, Korean TV show. It was picked up by Netflix. It's now been the number one show uh, on Netflix for like a while now. Uh, but it's a Korean show. And the narration is in Korean. The dialogue is in Korean. Uh, and so in order to watch it, if you're not a Korean speaker, you have to read subtitles. Uh, but one of the things that's been interesting about the story is this, that, that bilingual Korean-Americans, as they have been watching the show, listening to the Korean, but reading the English, is they've actually been raising the alarm because the English translation of the show actually waters down the punch. It waters down the message of the show. So they say that this show is actually this pretty significant critique on like economic disparity and all this kinds of stuff in Korea. But the English translation actually, uh, because it's easier and more efficient, translates it into like nice packaged words. And they're saying you're, you're actually watering down the message in your effect and your attempt to translate it. See, this is the point of this story, right? This is the point I want you to get is, is we need to be bilingual, right? We need to be able to speak the language of, of the neighborhood. Speak the language of the people that you're spending time with who, who don't know who Jesus is to be able to communicate to them in their language and their concerns. Here's who Jesus is. But we also need to be well-versed in the story of Jesus, in the word of God to be able to say, here is who Jesus is. And to be bilingual enough to say, no, that's a watered-down version of Jesus. That's a watered-down version of the message of Jesus. And so anything that waters down this message, we don't want because we want the message of Jesus who comforted uh, the, the, the discomforted, right? Who, who healed the sick, who overturned tables, who challenged people. We want the message of Jesus, not the watered-down version that we see around us. Right? That we would be, uh, we, we don't want that. And this is what Luke is saying. saying, Theophilus, I want you to know who Jesus is in a way that makes sense to you and the questions that you're asking. And so he, he translates the story for his friend, just like you and I need to do the work of translating the story for our friends for people who don't know who Jesus is. If you're here and you're considering who Jesus is, or reconsidering who Jesus is, this is why we planted this church. Right? This is why we went to all the trouble of planting a church here in this neighborhood, so that people in this neighborhood and the surrounding neighborhoods might see an expression of the church and the mission of Jesus in a way that answers the questions that they're asking, in a way that connects with you and your concerns, so that, so that you can meet people who are in this church when you walk down the street that you can meet people who are in this church when you're in your neighborhood. So it's not just transplanting yourself out of your neighborhood and coming here to come to church, but you get to encounter eyewitnesses to the mission of Jesus everywhere you live. And this is the mission that we're on. This is the mission that we want to invite you into. So that's what Luke is doing here for his friend Theophilus. But the purpose of all of this, why Luke goes to all the trouble with this, is simply clarity. He wants Theophilus to have clarity of who Jesus is. He says this, I want you to have certainty. I want you to, be, I want you to have confidence that these things have actually been fulfilled. 
What are the things that he references? Right? The things that he's talking about. It's all about Jesus coming to us. See, this season of Advent, this season of Christmas, is all about the greatest act of translation ever, right? which is God himself coming to us. That Jesus is God's ultimate act of translation. Leaving heaven, coming to earth, taking on human form, flesh and blood, being a baby, living as a teenager, becoming an adult, living in a particular culture, speaking a particular language for the purpose that you and I might have confidence that God loves us, that he knows us, and that you can know him when you know him in Jesus. If you're considering who God is, right, and you're afraid to commit, you're afraid to plant your feet, let me tell you, God planted his feet for you. He planted his feet right here in this earth so that you can know him. You don't have to be left guessing and wondering anymore. He demonstrated his love for us when he stretched out his arms on a cross. He demonstrated his power when he raised from the dead for you. God is translating his love for you in a way that you can know. And that's the love that we want to hold out to you this morning. Christian, if you are here this morning, that's why we gather around this table. In a few moments, we're going to take this table, we're going to take the bread and the cup, and just as real as the bread is, so Jesus is real. Just as real as this cup is, so Jesus is real. He translates his love for us by living here among us. And so wherever you are this morning, if you're struggling, discouraged, needing hope, allow this to remind you that God is real and he has met us in Jesus. Let me pray for us. God, we confess that it's easy to feel uncertain about who you are. That in uh, the stuff of our life, it's easy to get distracted. It's easy to feel alone. But God, you have translated your love for us in Jesus. You crossed the gap of sin. You overcame the gap of death so that we could know your love. God, for the one who's here this morning who's maybe on the fence about you, just like Theophilus is on the fence, God, would you show them your love in Jesus? You planted your feet here in our world so that we could know your love. And that it's simply a matter of believing and receiving your grace and forgiveness. God, this morning as we approach the table with the reality of this bread and this cup uh, through the power of the Spirit, remind us of the reality of your love for us. You translated yourself in a way that we can see and understand. And just as this is real, so you are real as well. And it is that reality that we celebrate this morning. We are not left alone, but you have met us in Jesus. And it's in his strong name that we pray these things. Amen.